we're currently in a maternal health crisis, if you will, right? Where particularly Black women are dying due to childbirth related things three to four times more than their white counterparts, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the statistics aren't good for the white folks either. It's just right. worse for us, right? And so when you have all of that, of course, folks are scared. But yeah. it's also because we are not looking at this process we're not looking at the natural process, right? We're looking at the hospital intervention process, right? And that's what makes it dangerous. That's what makes it more scary. That's what makes people have these traumatic experiences because we're intervening in a process that does not need our intervention. Before you continue with this episode, please make note that our conversation includes statistics and events that may be triggering for folks regarding well-researched mortality rates currently affecting mothers and babies during the traditional birthing process in the United States. By no means is this an easy conversation to have. However, most, if not all of us, are painfully aware of the recent mass school shootings in Uvalde, Texas, that claimed the lives of 19 children. In future episodes, we will discuss the soaring child suicide rates in the United States. These conversations are hard, to say the least, but as local, national, and global communities, we must use our gifts and abilities to counteract what seems to be a war on the lives of America's children. In order to improve and grow as a nation, we must preserve the environments and conditions that help mold and enrich the future generations, and that includes the womb. This episode is not a conversation on pro-life or pro-choice. Rather, we are here in support of women who give birth and desire new information to consider in relation to that experience. If you're a frequent flyer here, you know that we normally highlight programs that help children explore the vastness of education beyond the textbook so we can close America's education gap together. Continuing in the spirit of that mission, today's guest, Ashley J, is closing the education gap on the birthing process and options for us adults and giving you a deeper look into the practices and habits around America's healthcare system as it stands for mothers giving birth. Ashley presents food for thought as well as options for creating a pregnancy and birthing experience that is unique to each mother's personal desires. Ashley is a mother of three herself. She's a wife and an entrepreneur and the founder of Birth Class in a Box, which we'll get into more um, further in the episode, but she's essentially condensed the upward of $3,000 12-week in-person birthing preparation process that women can traditionally get at a birth center into an affordable, family-friendly, evidence-based, and Afrocentric box experience full of resources and games. Yep, y'all, she didn't put games in this box too. So if you get any subscription box of any kind, like maybe a makeup sample box or like a one of the month box, what Ashley has created is somewhat of a similar concept. Ashley is on a mission to help doulas prepare mamas for birth, engage birthing partners in the process, and save their own time, money, and energy through birth class in a box in her Keep It Simple workshops. Speaking of simple, let's start with the basics. Ashley, what's a birth class? Most people, when they think about a birth class, they think about Lamaze, right? In the movies, a lot of times you'll see Lamaze classes. And pretty much what that is, is 
it's a class to teach you about the process of birth, what is happening, what to expect, um, what things, interventions might be introduced. Um, and birth classes that are separate from a hospital are very um, focused on the natural process and letting you know what to expect in a normal physiological birth experience and some alternatives to normal interventions that might be offered in a hospital setting. And then what are the risks and the benefits of those um, different interventions and things that can happen? Um, and so it's, it's really a, especially in our society when we don't usually get to see other people birth, a lot of folks, the first time that they see birth is when they do it or for, you know, men, it's when they see, you know, their significant other or their girlfriend or their baby being born. Um, and so the class is really only necessary because we're not seeing it on a normal basis and talking about it. So it's really just preparing um, families for that really big event. Yeah. And I remember the first time um, I ever saw, I wasn't there. I'm not a mom, but I do have two nieces now. <laughs> And the first time my sister gave birth was like the first time I had witnessed anyone give birth. And it was via video. I wasn't even in the state. And it was, you know, it's just the sort of thing where you can have an idea of what it might be in your head. But when you yeah. actually see it, it's so different. And it is so beautiful. Yeah. However, we just do not see humans come into the world every single day. And there's a lot that comes along with that. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that you know, on your website, your headline says, um, birth doesn't have to be scary. And when I got on your website, that captivated me because like I said, my sister gave birth and my second niece was actually born yesterday. And she texted me, uh, my sister, not my newborn niece texted me <laughs> <laughs> literally saying, I'm so effing scared. Um, because you know, the hospitals right now, you can only have a, like one person and yeah. At the time, we couldn't even have two people because it was late at night when she was texting me. So how come the birthing process can be so scary for many women? Have you heard like feedback or even through your personal experience? Um, were you scared? Like, what is that like for women? Yeah, I mean, the, the unknown is scary, right? And because we're not seeing birth happen often, um, we, we don't know what to expect, right? So that's that's scary. And also the way that we talk about birth in this society makes the process feel very scary. It makes it feel dangerous, right? And especially when we talk about these statistics, we're currently in a maternal health crisis, if you will, right? Where particularly Black women are dying due to childbirth-related things three to four times more than their white counterparts, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the statistics aren't good for the white folks either. So it's just right. worse for us, right? And so when you have all of that, of course, folks are scared. But yeah. it's also because we are not looking at this process. We're not looking at the natural process, right? We're looking at the hospital intervention process, right? And that's what makes it dangerous. That's what makes it more scary. That's what makes people have these traumatic experiences because we're intervening in a process that does not need our intervention. I got you. So what about, uh, could you dive into that a little bit more? Yeah when you say the hospital intervention process and like not needing intervention, um, what, what do you mean by that? So 
first, when I talk about interventions, I'm talking about things like inductions, medicines, um, not being able to eat and drink during birth or during labor, um, being, you know, being, uh, what's the word, forced to stay in a bed, right? Things Mm, like that, C-sections, those are considered interventions. And the thought is that those are only introduced when they're necessary. But what we realize is that they're actually being introduced at the convenience often of the hospitals and of the doctors, right? And so if we go back a little bit further in history, we'll see that birth wasn't always in hospitals, right? They were Mm -hmm. done at home and they were usually done with midwives, right? And so in in those cases, it was more... um, there was more reliance and more understanding of the birth process and letting birth do what birth does, right? And then there was this kind of smear campaign that went on in the effort of putting birth in the hospital, right? And to one, make money off of it and to give all of these new doctors that were coming out of these colleges something to do, (laughs) they started smearing midwives and particularly they were mostly black midwives and they called them grand midwives or granny midwives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was this, again, smear campaign to make them seem dirty and uneducated and ill-equipped, right. Wow. To deliver babies when they had been doing it for centuries. Yeah. Right. And then I had no moved. idea about this. This is so Listen, interesting. It's crazy. There it's crazy. And there's lots of books that talk about the experience of grand midwives. I just read one a few months ago. I can't even remember the name of it. Um, but if you, Google or Amazon, like grand midwives, the books will come up of these women who have been delivering babies in their states. And they, you have stories where they were the only ones delivering babies in their whole city. Wow. Right? Yeah. Crazy stuff. Um, and then again, birth began to get pushed into the hospital. They started regulating the field, right. And making midwives get certifications and, um, they had to be underneath doctors and all of these things when really they had been doing the work the whole time. Um, and so fast forward to today where most births are done in a hospital. Most births are done with uh, obstetricians, OBs. Um, and even if you just look at what is an OB, OBs are trained surgeons, right? It's not like they are doctors that specialize in just birth they are trained surgeons so what they know what they are comfortable with what they are mostly skilled in is surgical birth okay so OBs aren't so looking at grand midwives next to OBs grand midwives everything about what they do and specialized in and prioritized is related to the birthing process versus OBs um, the surgical aspect is their specialty and main focus. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And okay. so today we, we don't have, there's, there's not very many, uh, grand midwives kind of like the originals right today. Many of them have already passed on. Um, but we still have, uh, midwives. Um, there's, uh, certified nurse midwives. There's, uh, what is it? CNAs and CP, C, CNMs and CPMs. 
some di- slightly different designations. Um, and okay. so basically the difference is that there's some that mostly uh, that they became a nurse first and then they became a midwife. And then there's some that went straight to midwifery. They are more likely to facilitate a hands-off process mm-hmm. for a more natural birth experience. But there are some that are very medicalized, right? They have been working in hospitals, working with OBs for most of their careers. And they're, they're much like what you would get in a, a typical hospital setting, pushing towards interventions and C-sections. Okay, well... Uh, first off, uh, wow, <laughs> I'm like sitting here Googling <laughs> like grand midwives as you talk about it. And what's coming up is just so interesting. So I definitely encourage everyone to do that and to maybe get a hold of some books to learn more about what Ashley's telling us here. And what you said um, in the beginning of this statement really held my interest because I couldn't, like I said, I had a niece that was born yesterday and I could not understand why. When my sister would like, she went to the hospital because I don't know, she was like feeling a little funny, but it wasn't really time for her to, like, it was clear that my niece Sage wasn't ready to come. Like there was mm-hmm. clearly a whole lot of time before she was ready. And um, I'm no medical expert guy. So this is just my personal observation. And um, my sister texted me and they were like, oh, I'm, she said, I'm getting a balloon or something like that. Um, and she, you know, because they want her mm. to come tonight. And I, it, for me, it was just like, but why? Like nothing, yep. <laughs> nothing was like, why can't we just wait for Sage to get here? And it, yeah. it just seemed like, like you said, now when you said at the convenience of the hospital, it really mm-hmm. like the fact that my sister went a couple of weeks before and they did something to like scrape something. I don't know the term. And then yeah. she, when she came the you know, a day before my niece came just to like check and see if everything was okay. It was kind of a rushed process. Like it really seemed like they rushed her to give birth. And, you know, I kind of just breezed past it because I was like, okay, well, you know, that's the hospital, what the hospital said. Um, But now that you mentioned the convenience of the hospital, you know, it's just turned on a a switch in my head. of how that might be happening to not just my sister, but so many moms. And I can't point because I'm not a medical professional as to whether that could affect someone's health during the birthing process. But I, the term that you use intervention um, Mm -hmm. definitely seems like there could be some, you know, um, I don't know, cause and effect because of that, those sorts of interventions. Absolutely. So one, I know there's probably some skeptical folks that'll be like, how do you know it's at the convenience of the hospital, right? So around the holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving time, you will see an increase in um, inductions, right? Because folks are trying to, the medical professionals are trying to get their births done before the holidays come so that they're, they don't have to be on call, right? So they don't have to come to the hospital in the middle of the night or in the middle of Christmas dinner. Like you can Google it. You'll literally see how inductions increase around the holidays, right? And particular times of the week, right? Usually during the week, instead of on the weekends, it's, it's mind blowing when you see the statistics and the numbers. It's like, wow, this is crazy. Um, And then even further, the, the reason why I really encourage folks 
to learn about the natural process and then to rely on the natural process and not intervene in it. Because when we start intervening, we take away some of the benefits of the process, right? So for instance, um, during birth, there are lots of different uh, hormones that are released to help in the process, right? Um, So contractions start. And contractions kind of, they become in, increasingly intense, but you're, it's at a rate of which you can handle it, right? When, when we introduce Pitocin, it creates these contractions that are usually very unbearable for moms, especially, not I should say especially, but it's just unbearable, right? And that's usually when folks who originally wanted to have a natural birth, start asking for medicine because they can't handle these contractions because they're not the same as natural contractions, right? They're usually last a lot longer. So a natural contraction usually lasts about 60 seconds. Pitocin contractions usually last longer than that. Um, They're usually a lot more intense, right? And they usually come a lot closer together than natural contractions, right? So it just it makes the process a lot tougher to handle. Right. And, you know, then you have mom who's like, I can't handle this. Let me get some medicine. So they get medicine, right. Usually an epidural, which Mm -hmm. tends to slow down the process. So then they add more Pitocin to speed it back up. Right. And it it becomes this back and forth. (laughs) It's crazy. It becomes this back and forth and you can hear it in stories. A lot of times you'll hear it in the stories. I was induced. I wasn't moving fast enough. So they gave me Pitocin and then it was really painful. So I got an epidural and then it slowed down again. Like you literally can hear it in the stories that moms are telling. And it's like, wow. And then it, it, it almost becomes this story of I had to be at the hospital. I'm so glad X, Y, and Z was there because my baby couldn't handle it. And I had to get an emergency C-section. Right. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that story so many times and I'm always like listening and being like, but what would what, what what would have happened had y'all not did anything? Yeah. Would you have needed this emergency C-section in that case? Right. Right. And if if it's a no, then that just says to me that we're doing things that are unnecessary in this process. We're causing the issues. Right. Right? Yeah. Like we're not saving anybody. We're causing the problems that people need to be saved from. <laughs> Wow, this is um, so eye opening. And I do, you know, encourage folks, if you have to listen to this episode more than once, I know that when it comes to medical practices, um, and hearing different perspectives, because we're so used to hearing one way of talking about um, a process like giving birth, it can be alarming. Like, what is this lady saying? Is she saying yeah. don't go to the hospital? <laughs> and yeah. By no means are we say, you know, don't take care of yourself health wise. However, it is important, especially with the data that we have with the increase in, you know, postpartum deaths among women, period, and Mm -hmm. especially high among black women that and babies that we start to look at the way that we're going about birthing and other medical practices in our country. Um, And so let's talk about you more, Ashley. Where are you from? Um, Could you talk to us about your journey to motherhood? I'm wondering, did you always want to be a mother? So I am originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I came to Baltimore to go to Towson University. 
Um, and then I stayed here because I met my husband and we got married. Um, before that point, I was not interested in having my own children. I was not interested, you know, in being married. I used to tell my mom, like the average American has two and a half kids. My sister has five. So she got my two and a half. We are good. <laughs> That's literally right. me right now. <laughs> Listen. Okay. And my mom still laughs at me for that. Cause now I have three kids and she's like, mm, you didn't pass the average girl. <laughs> So listen, it is hilarious. So um, yeah, I, I absolutely have always loved kids, loved playing with them and being around them and learning from them. But I, I was okay with not having my own because I just saw how the struggle that mothers go through. Um, and I don't think it's, I don't think motherhood is inherently a struggle. I think the way it's set up in our society makes it a struggle and makes mothers have to make choices out of necessity versus what they think is actually the best for them and their, their children. Mm, Um, And so just watching, you know, my sisters and my mom kind of struggle and, you know, do what they had to do versus what they wanted to do. Um, just was like, well, yeah, I'm not interested in that. Um, yeah. But, you know, I met a really awesome guy and he changed my mind. And so Yay. here I am. <laughs> Yay for love. <laughs> here I am almost 10 years later and I have three uh, beautiful kids. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm still, I am experiencing that motherhood struggle and trying to push against it as much as possible, um, even with all of the information that I have. So what, what is maybe one example of um, how you kind of went against the grain as to doing things out of um, kind of because of society says mom should do it versus you decided to take a specific family activity or parental practice in your own hands and say, I'm going to do it this way because it works for me. Oh my gosh. I I feel like I am probably the definition of the new age millennial mom (laughs) because I am like doing most of the things that folks are like looking at me sideways. Like, why are you doing that? So I had, even in birth, right? I had two births at a birth center, a place that is designated for folks giving birth. I had a home birth for my last one. And this is, and I'm talking about like an independent center. So you have some hospitals that try to be slick and call their their labor and delivery wards birth centers. Mm-hmm. That's not a real birth center. It's, okay. in the, it's detached from a hospital. It's independent. It has midwives that um, oversee it. And folks are able to kind of, it, it's more of a, a push towards natural births. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So that. Yeah, that's one of the things I've done. I'm trying to actively practice gentle parenting, um, extended breastfeeding. Both of my boys breastfed until they were three and a half. Um, So, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, doing it your own way. And I think that's so special because a lot of times uh, folks will probably hear on so many episodes on this podcast. Um, my siblings and I, four of us, we were homeschooled like in the late 90s, early 2000s. And in Black yes. communities, especially in Baltimore City, that was like, to my mother, people literally were like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> like, what are you, yeah. Why are you taking your kids out of schools? What are you going to do? You think you can teach them better than a teacher? Um, and so yes. just, you know, 
as as black mothers, as black families, and all cultures. You know, it's so important as especially as mothers because so much weight is put on mothers in this society to do mm-hmm. things that may or may not be natural to that mom. Just always mm-hmm. remembering that it's your life, it's your kids. You know, you have those natural instincts to know what's best for your family and yeah. you know taking episodes like these and sharing them around with your community. It's just to help encourage more moms to follow their instincts. And if someone thinks you're crazy for doing something that is helpful to you and your family, then they're just going to have to take you crazy. Um, Absolutely. And I just want to add too to that, that we have to think outside of the norm, right? When we want to, when we want to do some of these things, because our society is set up for us to do very particular things, send your kid to school, you know, parent a particular way. And so when we go outside of that, sometimes we, it's tough, right? Like if you decide to homeschool, you have to figure out, okay, so how am I going to work? How Mm -hmm. am I going to make money to support my family? And so we have to think outside of the box. And I think we're in an error where we have way more flexibility than we've ever had to Mm -hmm. be able to do those things, right? So starting your own business or working from home, um, you know, different things like that really can help us to, um, make the decisions that we want to make versus what we just need to do. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm wondering, when did you realize exactly when you need it? Because we're going to start talking about birth class in a box, which is what um, if folks go to your website, which we'll talk about at the end, they'll get to see more about, of course. But um, you say you gave birth at a birthing center, a real natural one. So was it then that you realized you needed to launch birth class in a box or can you talk to us about your experience and motivations that led to the creation of the box? Yeah. So when I was pregnant with my first son, I was afraid um, just because of all the stories that I had heard about birth. Um, and so, and I'm also afraid of needles and I, I don't like hospitals. So I was like, I told my husband, I was like, we have to find something else. That's not going to work for me. Yeah. And so we um, first watched the business of being born, mm-hmm. which is a documentary by Ricky Lake. It is a excellent watch and really gives you a lot of background around everything that I've been talking about. Um, And so from there, we went to, we ended up going to a birth center and then they were like, Hey, we want you guys to take a birth class. So the birth class that we took was 12 weeks long. And, you know, for two hours every week, we would go learn some aspect of birth. And it was so mind blowing. And just, it just changed everything I knew about birth. And I think it really made the difference in me having such an amazing experience. And I was like, I want more people to learn about this, to know this stuff, to have this type of experience. Like this should be the standard. This should be the norm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I became a childbirth educator and a doula and decided to stick to childbirth education instead of a doula. And that part was not for me. It takes a special kind of person to be a doula. Okay. Um, (laughs) And I realized that the, the primarily the women that I wanted to serve, which was black women, they, they were busy. They didn't see the value in doing 12 weeks of classes. And that's out of that became the birth class in a box. Okay. Yeah. And so it's it's the convenient, um, budget friendly and fun way to prepare for birth. So everything that you would learn in a independent birth class, I've put it into a product um, as the box. It has an info booklet. 
um, a pregnancy journal and six games to make it more fun and kind of an easier way to learn the information and to pull your support people into it as well. Because um, sometimes when you want to do things different, it can cause some tension in the family. And so doing it, you know, teaching them in game form can make that those conversations a lot less intense. That is really cool. Um, as far as the game form aspect of the box, this podcast, you know, like I said in the beginning, we usually focus on K through 12 education programs. And a lot of times the programs that we focus on are very convenient for parents, especially Black parents who statistically is shown aren't able to spend as many hours home with their children as maybe other ethnicities for many reasons. Um, yeah. a, a large portion being financial reasons, you know, having to be at work, work on weekends, work overnight. And so um, it makes total sense that you said a lot of, of, not all, but many Black moms may initially not see, you know, they're like, okay, yeah, I could go to these birthing classes, but it's 12 weeks long and I have to go to work. Um, yeah. And so just to see the the marriage between the programs that we usually talk about and you making it so convenient to get this enriching experience to moms who also need a convenient way to prepare for the birthing process is just so special. And then you went on ahead and you said, I'm going to add some games to this <laughs> yes. so that, um, you know, the whole family or the community can jump in on the process. And I don't know about everyone else, but this is really something special that I've heard. You know, I don't hear, you don't hear about this often. Um, and so um, I'm wondering, um, you know, we talked about um, the fact that there are an enormous amount of um, Black moms losing their lives during the birthing process. I read a statistic that said, you know, up to 42 days after giving birth nowadays, you know, moms are still mm-hmm. losing, their, losing their lives in a period where it seems you might be in the clear. Um, yeah. That's like you said, the rate is two, uh, about four times higher for black women than other ethnicities. Other yeah. ethnicities are still losing their lives. Like this is just crazy. And according to the yeah. CDC, infant mortality rates for 2021 were 541 deaths out of every 100,000 births, if I'm not mistaken. Furthermore, the number for um, Asian and non-Latinx white babies is between three to five percent for every 1,000 live births, um, you know, babies who unfortunately passed um, after live births. And for Black babies, that number takes a huge leap to 10.6 percent for every 1,000 live births. And so as heavy as that is to hear, guys, um, I just want to mention that one component of birth class in a box is um, that Afrocentric cultural traditions are included in um, the activities and resources that folks receive in the box. So could you talk about maybe one or two of the Afrocentric aspects of the box and how they may help to improve the birthing process? Yeah, so one, I am learning more and more of these traditions that, have been used for years and years and years. Like some of it seems to be lost, but folks are are passing it down and holding on to it. And it's being amplified more and more, especially with like social media and the internet. Some of these traditions are being more amplified. So as I'm learning more, I'm adding it to the box, right? Okay. So it's, a, it's an evolving thing. Um, but one of the ones that I love so much is belly binding, right? That is during pregnancy and it's for postpartum. 
um, for during pregnancy is used to help lift the belly and to take some of the pressure off of mom's pelvis area um, and some pressure off of the lower back, right? Because it can be really uncomfortable holding those heavy babies. Listen, it's work, okay? And it also helps to engage babies in the third trimester into the pelvis, right? To help the process, the to help um, decrease the amount of time that a mother is in labor, right? Okay. So I think about my own experience with my second one. I I was I was very I was so heavy on like I want to do everything natural that some of these traditions I rejected them and was like no my body can do it my body can do it not realizing that it was me it was me actually working with the process like belly binding so like I was like no I'm not doing that and then my labor process was way longer than it needed to be because my baby was not engaged in the pelvis so with number three I was like bind this belly today okay <laughs> like what we're not about to do is what I did last time let's get going. Um, Yes. And so, um, and then for postpartum, it's really helpful to help bring um, the uterus back to size, to help the abs come back together, to um, help mom uh, shed some of postpartum weight, um, and also just for healing, like to keep the uterus area uh, and the womb warm and to promote um, full healing and recovery. And, you know, like Ashley said earlier, um, of course, this, these practices can help everybody. We focus, I'm focusing this conversation on helping um, Black moms just because we know um, the amount of disparities there is in the healthcare system for Black people in general. Um, but the really cool thing about this box is that um, Ashley is helping to bring, as in a lot of great things that contribute to, um, you know, our livelihoods in Western society. Ashley's helping to bring Afrocentric practices that have been improving, you know, the birthing process, birth prep, postpartum for people for centuries. And so I really encourage if you are not a mom who's giving birth or preparing for birth, if if you know a loved one who is, this could be an excellent gift just so that they can have a, um, a new perspective on what is possible for them in the birthing process. And not just the mom, but of course, like you're saying here, Ashley, the baby, like there are things yes. that you can do to engage the baby in the process before the little human is even here. Um, yes. And then the games, which engage the community. So talk about, you know, engaging the village. Um, oh. oh, what'd you say? No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, what else can um, mothers and families look forward to when they get a hold of the birth class in a box? I know you have a few other resources in there as well. So what's inside? Yeah. So in addition to the pack of six games that educate the info booklet and the pregnancy journal, there are also other um, like little gifts or prizes um, from other related black owned businesses. So Mm. some of the ones that I have currently are like stickers from birth nerds. Um, I have a magazine, everyday birth magazines in there. I have a book about motherhood that's also been included into some of them. And so those change and vary depending on, you know, supplies and things like that. But um, yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to pack it with as much value as possible um, and getting other vendors with samples and things like that um, in the box so that we can amplify uh, not only birth options, but also related black owned businesses. 
That's lovely. Really bringing together the community, guys. You guys hear the rich resources that are inside of this box. I definitely encourage you to check it out. And I'm wrapping up here, Ashley. I just wanted to t- talk on the topic of diet because I know on the on your website you say that um, you know diet is something that you encourage mothers to take into consideration. And I know that back um, when, unfortunately, you know we lost Nipsey Hussle and. Dr. Sabine's work became more mainstream and visible as far as, you know, just different ways to eat. You can eat alkaline, yeah. you can eat this way and the other way. Some people are choosing to eat keto nowadays. There are so many diets that are saying, hey, you don't have to eat the standard American diet. And so why is diet so important for mothers to consider while pregnant? Um, is there any evidence that shows diets can improve the birthing process at all? Absolutely. Yes. Um, I always say that when there's a a pregnancy ailment, um, think diet first, think food first and diet in terms of not like trying to lose weight or trying to stay in a particular, uh, weight percentile or anything like that, but just what are you eating? Um, uh, food regimen, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so, um, food absolutely has an impact on what you're eating while you're pregnant and postpartum, especially if you are breastfeeding, right? Um, Folks are always saying like, while you're pregnant, you're eating for two. And when we look at calorie intake, you're actually eating for one and a half while you're pregnant. And when you're breastfeeding, you're eating for two because you need that many more calories to sustain yourself and make breast milk. And so what you eat affects the development of your baby and it affects you, right? And so all of these different ailments of preeclampsia, eclampsia, a lot of those things are affected by diet, Mm. right? Um, And can be reversed by diet. Um, And so it's just, it's really important that we don't see pregnancy as a time to uh, just eat all of the all of the things just because we're hungry, but to eat the things that are really going to provide us and our baby the best chance um, for staying low risk, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I want to point out that a lot of these cravings that we talk about during pregnancy are, are, are symbols from our bodies telling us that we are lacking something, right? Usually it's pointing to a mineral deficiency. So mm-hmm. for example, craving ice, craving chop, craving baby powder usually means that mom is not eating enough iron, right? It's an iron deficiency, okay. right? And that could be very problematic leading to anemia, leading to um, postpar- postpartum or um, birth hemorrhage. So we want to take into consideration, like look into, okay, I'm craving X, Y, and Z. Let's look that up and see what that means. Okay. This is all so helpful and enlightening and guys, um, we're wrapping it up right now, but I wanted to end on that note, just so that you can really get a taste of the type of knowledge and insight and wisdom that you'll get a hold of, um, when you get birth class in a box for either yourself, your family member, a friend, a coworker, a great baby shower gift, (laughs) Um, yes. You know, there's just so much involved. And so Ashley, can you tell us where we can get more information on what on you, what you do, how we can get a hold of the box? Yes. So my website is birthclassinabox.com. My social media handles are birthclassinabox on Facebook and on Instagram. I'm also going to drop this information in the show notes to make it really convenient for folks to get into all that's going on with Ashley and birth class in a box. Ashley, thank you so, 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 so much 
for joining us as a mom of three. I know you have a lot going on as a wife, as a community member, as an entrepreneur. Um, to have you here and take this time out, I'm very grateful and so are the rest of us. And I hope that you have a wonderful day. So what'd you think? How will you take what you learned today on the Ed Gap Evolution podcast to make sure that more children and families know that they have more options for building a magnificent future? If you like what you heard and want to get notified when the next episode goes live, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll notify you when the next episode is out. Don't forget to check the show notes where I share information on today's guests and yes, we do have a website. You can always pop in on us at www.eggapevolution.com. Again, I'm Mariah Phillips, and I leave you with this. Embrace the evolution, y'all.